Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey guys, Dr. Hondor here, and this is a replay of episode two from the podcast, and so This one, um, again, if you have missed the last couple episodes, we're doing some replays because this is really still very crucial information to understanding why moving away from dieting is so essential because it's almost always external motivation. It's almost always ineffective. And I mean, frankly, if it is effective, go for it. But it's like, that doesn't really happen. Um, and if you're feeling like really empowered and good and sustainable about your relationship with food and you think of it as dieting, then you're probably not listening to this podcast. Right. And so the diet overlay is sort of the way I think about the way dieting sort of hijacks our biology, but also kind of steals our joy for life in so many ways and kind of dims our dims our light. It keeps us so distracted from, everything and we can't even see it sometimes when we're in it maybe we can but sometimes it's too painful to look at um so this is going back to some of the topics that i talked about in the beginning about why dieting so ineffective some of the data there but um this is something that yeah i mean several months later many oh gosh this i mean i i actually recorded this in probably january of 2021 um it's still very, very relevant. So I want you to be really thinking about how does this apply to me? Where do I get caught up with ineffective strategies? Where am I hesitant to let go of stuff that I know isn't serving me? Maybe that is continuing to record calories or maybe that's continuing to weigh yourself too frequently. So just looking at where can I move away from ineffective strategies to create space for effective, sustainable, body respecting, you know, empowered relationships with food. So I'd like you to keep that in mind as you listen to this replay episode. And um, yeah, excited to dive in with you and hear what you think. As a reminder, this blog and podcast are for educational and informational purposes only and should never be construed as any form of professional advice. If you do need a professional or you're struggling in any way, please seek out a professional who can help determine how this specific information applies to you and your situation. All right, let's dive in. Hi guys, Dr. Sean Hondorp here, and I am here with episode two of the Motivation Made Easy podcast. 
And today we're going to be talking about dieting, the diet mentality, and what that means, why it doesn't work, and how it keeps us from doing things that matter. So I'll tell you guys that I am a one-woman show in this podcast. I don't have anyone editing for me or doing anything. I'm doing it all myself, learning all the things myself. And I just edited my first episode, episode one. And I think the episode is really good. I, I do, but I was editing it and kind of laughing because I think that sometimes I might need to just chug a little bit more coffee when I give you guys this content because it's kind of weird to just be talking to a microphone. So today in the content today, it's really important, really helpful information. I'm going to bring you some more stories. Got my coffee right here. If you can picture where I am doing this on my own. First of all, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in Michigan. I have parents who are pretty minimalist in terms of like buying new stuff. And we're all about kind of trying to use what you have, right? I don't think my dad's bought himself clothes since like I don't know, probably prior to 2000 or something, maybe one or two things, but um, we're all about using what we have. And so over here, I do have my my microphone, but you can buy these like podcasting things that block out the sound. Well, of course, I didn't do that. I have it in like a little laundry crate and then a pillow to uh, hopefully make the sound better for you guys too in this episode versus the last. So that's where I'm at for you. Um, just a little insider's peek into the world of new podcasting. So I talk a lot about moving from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, and that's relevant to what we're talking about here today with dieting. And so I'm trying to do that for you to show up imperfectly, give you this information in a way that I think and hope will be very helpful to you, but also in a way that if I was trying to make everything perfect for you, this podcast would never be a thing. Here's to imperfection and today's episode. So today we're going to be talking about, again, how dieting keeps us stuck in an ineffective cycle, how it doesn't work, and a little bit about why it doesn't work, and how it keeps us from doing the things that matter. And of course, always at the end, I'll give you information about what in the heck to do with this information, because some of this you may know, I think a lot of it you probably won't. Um, Some of these studies are not widely shared But I think you'll probably, like anything, when we're shifting and changing the way we view things, can be a little overwhelming. So don't worry. I'll always leave you with something that you can focus on, that you can control, because dieting and your weight often is not one of them. So let's dive in. So if you don't know me, my business online is called The Psychology of Wellness, and the slogan for my business is Master Your Relationship with Food, period, for good, period. And let me tell you that that slogan is not just about mastering your relationship with food permanently. Although I do think once you wrap your head around how amazing it feels to stop dieting, you won't want to go back. But it's also, perhaps more importantly, so that you can do good in your life. And this, frankly, is the thing that really drives me. Because I've seen how powerful it can be to stop dieting and how freeing And it's allowed me to do things that I feel a strong sense of purpose for. Like, for example, blogging or this podcast or some of the other things that I do in my life. And it's not just about these bigger dreams, right? It's also about showing up in the world as the person you want to be in any role that you have. Like as a parent or as a friend or as a relative 
or brother or sister or whatever it is. I'm all about promoting this information because it's going to allow you to show up in the world the way you want to and be the person that you want to be. And that's what really, really matters. So again, today we're going to be talking about how dieting takes us away from that. It did for me for many years, and I want you to understand what's going on there and think about how it might apply to your life. So I've been realizing more and more lately how much we as the weight management field have missed the mark and how we help people, but also how I've missed the mark. And I think a lot of people in our country are going through this right now as we understand social justice issues, our country's history of and current participation of systemic racism, and how this is actually really entwined with the way that we approach dieting and our health. So I already have some guests lined up who are going to give a perspective from folks from marginalized groups, not just one white woman's thoughts, me, but I'll tell you a story about this and something that really made this hit home for me. So in grad school, as a psychologist, there is training and we are required to have a diversity class and we were taught throughout grad school to consider diversity factors in our research and our treatment or approach to patient care. So I remember distinctly a time when I was writing one of my four essays for internship applications. This is the internship is the last year of your doctoral program. You do a one year clinical internship. We had to write four essays as part of our application. And one of those was about how we incorporate diversity factors into our approaches to research or treatment or patient care. And I remember at the time thinking, well, I try to keep in mind factors like food insecurity for patients who don't have access or live in what we call food deserts where they don't have access to a grocery store and they have to do their shopping at convenience stores and other factors um, that I mentioned there cultural factors, preferences, all those things. And I wrote about that and I submitted my essay. But I remember thinking, I didn't write this, but I remember distinctly thinking that before we can even tailor our weight loss interventions to diverse groups, and we absolutely need to, or at least that's what I was thinking at that time, we need to figure out how to actually deliver interventions that do work for people. And after all my years of studying this field, started in the field of eating behavior research at age 20 or so, so pretty early in undergrad. And so now the count's at about 15 years. Yes, I'm about, well, not about 35. I am 35. Um, And so you don't have to do the math. But I've been in this field for 15 years, and we just don't have weight loss interventions that work over the long term. I've talked about before, you know, there's the very, very rare exception of people that are are able to lose weight and keep it off. That number goes down and down if we're talking about a larger amount of weight. If it's about, you know, 15 or 20 pounds, that's totally categorically different than a larger amount of weight. But we keep trying to find new ways to help people lose weight and keep trying to capitalize on it. And it's it's just not a, a thing. We would know if it was. So we can't tailor our interventions till we find one that works and we haven't found one that works. It's really an insane industry. I was at what's called the Obesity Week conference several years ago. They were talking about experimental treatments they were working on and it was pretty appalling to be honest. Um, 
this was just one session of this conference, so nothing against the, against the conference at all, but one of the sessions was about these experimental treatments to help people, and one was literally a plastic sheath, a plastic tubing that people would insert into their stomach and intestines, and it would sort of cover the top portion of their intestines to mimic bariatric surgery without actual surgery, so this would you know, prevent absorption of nutrients, and it would kind of continue to pass through the intestines and into your feces. And that was a way we were trying to help people lose weight. So yeah, that never got approved. People are getting bowel obstructions. If that doesn't show you our desperation, I don't know what does. But we keep trying. Nothing's working. So it's another example of how this focus on solving the weight obesity problem simply distracts us from the basic things that would actually improve the health of people, such as increasing access to fruits and vegetables or educating people on the fact that health can be achieved at a wide variety of body weights, sizes, or focusing on social justice issues, right? We talked in episode one about a key factor in long-term change being the sense of relatedness or feeling that one belongs. Well, that's a big deal, and we could do a whole lot of work on that. So instead of spending that $78 billion a year on this ineffective in industry, why don't we reallocate those efforts to something that actually might impact someone's health in a positive way, right? So I'm going to go over a couple of studies that really illustrate how dieting can be harmful and ineffective and how it impacts us. And so one of them is a study that you do see cited pretty often. It's called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. It's a really small study and it certainly has its limitations. It was literally 36 men studied in the 1940s. Basically this study is really interesting and really shows us some of the effects of extreme calorie restriction and what it can do to people cognitively, behaviorally, emotionally, and sort of to their thought process. So it's pretty fascinating. So I think it's worth reviewing here. So these 36 men actually volunteered to be put on a starvation diet, or that's what they called the starvation diet. Ironically, they actually were eating 1570 calories per day. So if any of you have done any diets, you might say, oh, that's a, kind of a standard calorie restriction goal, right? So the goals that we used to have for people in our research trials was either 1,200 or 1,500 calories per day or less, or sometimes 1,800, depending on the person's starting weight. So anyway, they called it a starvation diet. It's 1,570 per day. They came in and they were studied extensively for 12 weeks without doing anything to their weight. And then over 24 weeks, they were on that diet and they lost 25% of their weight. So a lot of weight, really a significant weight loss in those 24 weeks. And then they helped them to regain the weight, sort of a refeeding process over the next 12 weeks. And the whole study was trying to help people in nations where they were experiencing hunger and starvation, how to effectively refeed them. So there was sort of this humanitarian um, goal for these men participating in the study. And I think they were pretty motivated to be part of that goal. So they started actually eating about 3,500 calories per day. That was pretty typical for these men before being restricted. Interestingly, there's a lot of effects that the, these men experienced 
they had reduced concentration. Um, but I think what's most fascinating is the reports of how they became obsessed and preoccupied with food. And they went from being engaged people, they were interested in life and had hobbies. They were allowed to take classes on campus for free, and they just no longer were interested in this after being starved. They became possessive over their food. They actually showed some signs that you see in eating disorders where they were cutting up their food into tiny pieces, moving it around their plates, being obsessed with talking about food. Some of them developed binge eating and purging. Um, they had body image concerns, decreased sex drive. So you see all of these things that you see with um, women in, in disordered eating and, and eating disorders. So again, they went from these people with all these goals and interests and they would show up to a study like this to really no interest. And interestingly, too, there was all these things going on in the world. They just weren't interested in current events. They weren't interested with things going on with the war and our relationship with other countries. They were talking about food. They wanted to take up careers where they were focused on food. They just became obsessed. And I think this is a kind of fascinating example of how a group of men who you probably wouldn't expect this to happen to, this is a biological effect. This is a biological effect of really, and you see this in dieting, yeah, that doesn't always happen right away with dieting. It depends on how extreme it is. But I can tell you from my personal experience, my diets weren't really super extreme. I never went like probably below, I never went below 1200. Um, I mean, it's pretty low, right? But I never was like truly trying to starve myself. And yet I became obsessed with food. I became really fixated on it. I was thinking about it a lot, what my next meal would be. And I mean, I've looked back and all the journals and how much I was writing about food and nutrition. And I mean, after I finally stopped dying, I truly started a ton of different hobbies. And I was like, oh, I have all this free time and time in the evening where I don't have to worry about anything. I can just, I painted, I learned to crochet on YouTube. And, you know, nowadays I have, well, I have two kids, so I have less hobbies. But point being, I have a lot of time to focus on the things that matter. Okay, so the next study I want to talk to you about is the fact that really this study kind of proves that you can't engage in restricting calories without experiencing physiological stress. So this was a really interesting study by Janet Tamiyama, and they randomly assigned people in this study to either restrict and monitor their calories. So this was, they were keeping food journals and restricting to 1200 a day. Just restricting alone, that was 1,200 calories a day of prepackaged food, so kind of like your Jenny Craig approach. And then monitoring only, they were just keeping journals, but they didn't have a calorie limit, and then they had a control group. And they had saliva samples six times a day, and they found that the act of restricting calories alone, so the Jenny Craig type group, found that they had increased cortisol. So it's not just the perceived stress of restricting, and keeping a food journal, which if you're, if you've done a lot of dieting, that usually does bring up a lot of stress for people, but that's separate from the stress of the actual restriction. So again, 
Stress cannot be avoided, and we know stress is bad for our health. We also know stress sets us up for weight regain. There's a number of other ways that dieting doesn't work and why it doesn't work. I've reviewed this really comprehensively on one of my blog posts that I will post in the show notes. It's drshawnhondorp.com forward slash how dieting fails us, a comprehensive guide, but I will link that to the show notes. And I won't go over that in depth today, but basically self-control is a limited resource. So this idea of like no one has enough willpower for dieting, that's not a thing. And then more studies and information about how dieting messes with our bio biology and our bodies and what we can do about it. And then as we talked about last time, really dieting erodes the universal key psychological needs that are essential for long-term behavior change. So taken together doesn't work and there's many reasons why. All right, so let's talk about the diet mentality. I use that term a lot, but I realize I don't always define it fully. So we're going to talk about the diet mentality, what it is, how it's holding you back, and then again, most importantly, what to do about it, right? So what is the diet mentality? It is a mindset that's involved with most any diet or weight loss attempt, eating plan. It comes from a place of external shoulds, guides, should-based motivation. I need to eat this way because this program is telling me to. It's often based on stress of not being okay as you are now. So think of the diet industry commercials. They really want you to feel as you watch their commercials that I'm not okay, but I could be okay, or I could feel so great, confident about myself if I just follow this program and lost weight. So that's also the mentality, like I'm not okay now, I need to change this urgency, this desperation of I need to get out of this space of pain. Maybe there's been, probably it's most common, this occurs after overeating or weight gain, and it's a really painful place to be in. It's also based on the assumption that whatever program or plan knows what you should eat or it has the solution for you because you don't know. Clearly, you don't know what you should be eating because, look, you're struggling with overeating or you've gained weight. So clearly, you're out of control, right? It's based on this notion. Nevertheless, look at those studies we just talked about. Dieting causes stress and dieting causes these men who volunteered to be starved to get obsessed with food and feel completely out of control. I didn't mention, but once they were refed again, they were eating seven to 10,000 calories per day. So that is our body's biology. When we diet, we get emotional eating, binge eating is a result of that. But almost all people that I talk to when they binge eat or emotionally eat, and I know I did this, they blame themselves and they say, I'm out of control. Something is wrong with me. And you buy into this notion refueling this whole process, right? So the diet mentality is also based on the assumption that if you do XYZ steps right, you'll lose weight. So if you do all the things, you'll have control over your weight, which as many of you know, this isn't always the case, right? So sometimes you do the steps and your body doesn't respond with weight loss. This The first time, the second time, in a new approach, it might work and it's more likely to our bodies get smart though, right? And they start to be like, eh, I see what you're doing. And they adapt and they don't lose as much in the second attempt. So the first time I did Weight Watchers was more successful than each future time I did it, much less successful each time. But this idea of having control, we really like it as humans, right? So dieting gives you this feeling of control. And one of my suggestions is to try to give up control of your weight 
to improve your relationship with food, and ultimately free your mind to focus on what matters. And I fully stand by that, even though I know at first glance it might seem scary or pretty overwhelming. So the first time that you attempt a new plan, dieting can feel very hopeful and exciting. So this diet mentality, the first part of it might be sort of more positive. However, because of all the reasons we just mentioned, it's going to just keep you in this cycle of feeling that hope and feeling like this time's going to be different and then realizing it didn't work and almost always blaming yourself. You rarely blame the programs, right? Because in theory, the programs work short term for some people. So we blame ourselves. It must be something wrong with me. I don't have willpower. And then just fuels a cycle of reduced feeling of confidence in yourself and frankly, just not focusing on anything of value in your life or not anything, but focusing less on the things that matter. I think if the diet mentality or the diet emotional eating or diet binge cycle, repeat dieting cycle, it's the top level. It gives us something we feel like we can control, can feel empowering when it's working, give us a goal to focus on, which our brain's like. It's incredibly hard to accept that things are out of our control, but weight is one of those things, mostly. And dieting gives us this illusion that if we just follow these steps, we'll get this outcome. And it's just kind of ridiculous. It's also incredibly distracting from other important things and gets us caught in this useless cycle of restricting and falling off track and starting again. So the diet mentality overlay, I think of it as, I haven't came up with a better metaphor. The way I think of it now is sort of a like sheer black cloth that lays over everything in your life. It's not that it's totally covered or it's not that you're not focusing on other things in your life. I know I certainly did. I still went on vacations and I still cared about people in my life. And it's not that you're not present at all, but it kind of has this like layer of cloudiness over it and kind of, you know, can cover up some things that are painful, maybe don't want to look at, but definitely covers up some of the joy and positivity that in, in your life that you can feel when you take it away can be very liberating to remove that sheer black cloth. So if anyone comes up with a better metaphor, that's what I do for now. That's what I think of. Below that diet mentality overlay, it really depends on the person in terms of what it is. And I think that's one of my most annoying, or that's one of the things I get most annoyed about when people say like, oh, if you struggle with your weight or your relationship with food, you must have some trauma that you've been through or you must have some this or that and we try to categorize people into you must have this issue well the reality is that the diet overlay or the diet mentality can negatively affect anyone and it truly does and what's underneath can be pretty individual and so yeah is it pretty common for some unaddressed trauma to be to lead to a difficulty with your weight or relationship with food yeah it's pretty common does it mean that everyone who has that difficulty has unaddressed trauma? Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. So below, it might be something like unaddressed trauma or something that really does need to get addressed in psychotherapy, or it might be something like unfulfilled dreams or um, an unsupportive relationship or something that's, those are pretty intense, painful things. It could also be just sort of dissatisfaction with work or dissatisfaction with 
the way things are going in your life. And when we take away that dieting overlay, we have this opportunity to really look at things and really look at things for what they are. I also often talk to people about once we've removed the dieting overlay, a lot of people that I work with have a goal of improving their health, right? And so they have some goals that they want to achieve. And a lot of times that starts with weight loss, but over some discussion, we maybe shift our goals, but they still want to feel more in control of their habits. They still want to feel like they can add more fruits and vegetables into their life or move more or develop a more consistent pattern of some of those things that matter to them. The cool thing is once we remove the dieting overlay, we can see things a little bit more clearly. So the logistical factors, like unless you have a personal chef, all of us are going to have to do some shopping and meal prepping and, and cooking to some extent, right? We can get help or we can, there's different ways, but we all have the same logistics of how, what eating well looks like in our life. But we kind of have to remove that dieting mentality overlay first because it causes us to really look at things and interpret it in an unhelpful way. We, When you struggle with dieting or relationship with food, you make these assumptions about yourself like, oh, well, I struggled to meal prep this week. It's because I can't do anything right or I don't have it together and I'm or I'm lazy or all these things that we call ourselves I'm out of control, right, when we overeat the way we interpret these events make it harder to get back into the things that really matter to us. And it just distracts us from the work that is required to eat well, right? Again, unless you have someone coming into your home and a personal chef, but I am someone who really never liked cooking and I've sort of gradually trained myself to like it a little bit more. And I think over time I'm liking it a little bit more, but it's sort of that accountability to doing something because we really value it, right? I talk all the time about intrinsic motivation. I talk to a lot of people who intrinsically like cooking. And sometimes when we take away the diet mentality overlay, they just start to really love it again. And it's really empowering. And when they're doing it for themselves or doing it for their family in a way that feels like, yeah, I'm doing this because I want to, it can really spark that joy in it again. For other people like me, you just are like, eh. I do this because I value it. And I've, in the beginning, I had to like make it more enjoyable because I'd let myself watch Netflix while I was cooking. But now that my kids are older, sometimes I listen to podcasts while I, while I cook, but you know, it's a little bit more challenging if you don't naturally like it. But again, these are all things that all of us have to deal with, whether or not we have a diet mentality, but really being able to see it more clearly when we're not over-interpreting everything that happens based on our view that we have a messed up relationship with food and it's something about us that's making it hard. No, the logistics of eating well for most of us isn't that easy because A, our environment doesn't make it very easy and B, it's just, it's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work to eat well, (laughs) unless you have someone cooking for you. If you do, good for you. So something to keep in mind. All right, so to summarize what we talked about today, dieting doesn't work. Hey, what do you know? You've heard that before, I'm sure, but I hope today you have a better understanding of why it doesn't work and some of the science and some of the research behind it. And I'm not the first one that's talked about this. Certainly a lot of people are talking about this, but we need to be talking about it more because 
somehow we're still spending vast amounts of money trying to lose weight and it doesn't work. There's no science really to support the fact that it works except these really, really rare examples as I've shared. And in my 15 years in this field, I've basically barely met anyone who falls into those examples. I have, um, but it's super rare. And, and again, yeah, it's just not, it's just not common. And we don't have a, a treatment or an intervention that works for everyone. I've never found it. Besides, of course, focusing on your habits and if weight loss happens, it happens, right? So this diet mentality is really this attempt to control your weight versus just, I'm going to make these habit changes, whether or not the weight changes and accept that I may, my weight may or may not change. And so my guess is the people that lose weight and keep it off are probably more on that side of things. They're not doing it with the diet mentality. But again, that's a bit challenging for people to wrap their head around. So if you want more detail about all the different ways that dieting fails us, you can go to the link in the show notes, How Dieting Fails Us, a comprehensive guide. And it's going to talk to you about more in depth about that. But of course, as always, I'm going to leave you with some tips about what in the world we do with this information. So sometimes a lot of people I talk to do find this information empowering and positive because it's pretty consistent with their experience. And the whole goal here and my goal for you in hearing this information is so you stop blaming yourself. I'm not saying don't take accountability for making changes in your life, but I think that's not a problem for you. I think the problem is you are doing what so many people do is you're assuming something's wrong with you. This isn't working for you because of something inherently wrong with you. And I argue that it's a system that's failing you, not the other way around. So what do we do with this information? What do we do instead? If we want to improve our health, we want to improve our relationship with food. First of all, I'd encourage you, and maybe you've already done this and listening to this, but really take a step back and look at the ways that dieting has impacted your life. For me, I know, and I've shared, it was such a major focus. It was that black cloud or black veil over everything. For most every vacation for the 13 years of my life, I was in this diet binge cycle. I was present and I enjoyed things. I'm not saying I didn't, but it was kind of muted to varying degrees, right? So what is it for you? What's it holding you back from? Is it keeping you from doing things that excite you? Are you saying, I need to lose weight before I can go do something I love or see someone I love or go on a trip? Are you avoiding social events that are important to you or applying for that job because you think I got to look a certain way before I can put myself out there and apply or try something new? What would you do differently if you weren't concerned about your weight or appearance, or if you thought you were enough just as you are right now? Next, just notice when and where you have the diet mentality. That's how we change anything, right? We just notice and be aware of it for now. You don't necessarily have to change it right now. Just notice. Notice how it makes you feel. Just pay attention. And remember that giving up dieting doesn't mean not eating well or not eating in line with your goals. It does mean giving up the need to control your weight and choosing actions that you would do regardless of whether or not it influenced your weight. But it doesn't mean not focusing on making changes that you want to make in your life with regards to eating, movement, maybe drinking less alcohol, whatever that is. 
I can tell you that for me, many years after giving up dieting, I've never felt more in control of what I do with my eating, um, more freedom with that. And you're just learning to do so from a place of taking great care of yourself and your body. And the great news is you're spending way less emotional and cognitive or sort of mental energy on these things. So you can focus on the things that really matter. So again, I have made this free audio tutorial. If you're interested in sort of like, Sean, this makes sense, sort of, but I don't really know, feeling out of control. I'm feeling like I can't get back on track without dieting. I don't know what to do. My free audio is, is made just for you and just for this specific problem. You want to feel like you can take that next step, but you want to do so from a place of tuning in. I've said, you know, I think intuitive eating really helped me, but a lot of times people are like, I don't know how to break down intuitive eating and like what that looks like. So this guide is just going to walk you through. It's about 15 minutes. You can listen to it at any time. And it walks you through some of the steps of just tuning in, learning that skill of listening to your body, and then making a choice that feels best for you. And, and it guides you through some different options and how to actually kind of plan that into your day. So if you want to grab that little um, audio guide, you can do so at drhondorp.com forward slash tune in, D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash tune in, T-U-N-E-I-N. And that will be in the show notes as well. So grab that. Let me know what you think. So in summary for this episode, dieting doesn't work. Let's move away from that ineffective cycle and focus on the things that matter in our life. Let's do some good in the world. And whatever that is for you, doesn't matter. It's what you decide. And that's the exciting thing about it. I hope that this episode spoke to you in some way. If it did, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at support at drshawnhondorp.com. Thanks and have a great day. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you, as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime, I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. 
So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.